in the wilderness. In fact, it begins historically about that time and takes us to the time they reached the Jordan River, but before they went into Canaan. Now, I want you to remember that in our text today, the story focuses on Moses having selected 12 men, one from each tribe, to go and to spy out what was Jordan or what was Canaan about, what kind of land they would face, what kind of people lived there. And chapter 13 is about the report that they gave when they came back. So with that background, let, let me read beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> and these are the words of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason the book of Numbers is important is because the ultimate author is the Holy Spirit. I like what Franklin Graham said on TV. He said, I don't understand everything in the Bible, but I believe it to be true. I have spent over seven years of formal training uh, as a minister studying the Bible. And there are things that I do not necessarily understand, but I believe it to be the Word of God. And so I believe Numbers has a message for us today. And let's see what that message is. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each an ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And of course, you know who the different tribes are. Now, let's go to verse 25. And at the end of the 40 days, in other words, they were the, 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 these spies or these scouts were in Canaan for 40 days. And so they've come back now to report. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. And they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community to Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land and they gave Moses this account. Now, this is the account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here is the fruit. And listen to this. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, let's drop down to verse 20, 32. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes and we look the same to them. Now here's what's taking place. When the 12 men came back from Canaan, they had two reports. They had a majority report and a minority report. The minority report was that God has promised us the land, Canaan. 
And by way of reference, sometimes in gospel songs, you will hear Canaan referred to as heaven. Canaan is not a picture of heaven in the Bible. Why? Because in Canaan, they faced enemies. In, in, in Canaan, there was death. In Canaan, they had to battle the enemy. None of that is true about heaven. And so speaking metaphorically, Canaan does not represent heaven. And sometimes you will pick that up even in gospel songs and even preachers occasionally will refer to it. And so our text is centering around the report that these men gave. Now, ten of them said, what we saw there, it is true, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And some of even brought clusters of grapes, they brought pomegranates, they brought figs to show that indeed it is exactly what we, God said, it is a land of promise, it has great potential. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua said, even though there are giants in the land, God has promised us that if we'd be obedient and if we would go there, that God would give us the victory. Ten of them, majority, which means that the majority is not always right. Now, in a democracy, you're supposed to go by the majority. But here is an example when the majority was wrong. The majority said, we agree that it's a land of great promise, but there are giants in the land, and we look like grasshoppers to them. And when we looked at ourselves, we thought we were grasshoppers in compared to them. Now, let's talk a little bit about why some of you are asking, what in the world does that have to do with me as a Christian? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. The reason is, is if we live long enough, you and you and me, we're going to face giants. And if you are a Christian, you mark it down. There will be times in your life that you're going to meet a giant. Let me explain to you what a giant is. A giant is any person or any situation that is bigger than your ability to handle. Now, folks, all of us as Christians, if you live long enough and you don't have to live very long, you're going to face a giant. And so the question is, as Christians, as children of God, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, What do you do when you face a giant? And so that's what I'm trying to get at today. Now let's talk a little bit about giants. If you think about it, there are people that are very tall, but you see in this day, which was thousands of years ago, Jewish men were very short. I did some research, and on average during this time, a Jewish man was about 5'2", or about 5'3". Now, did you know that in World War II, the average GI, the average soldier, was 5 feet 7 inches tall? I remember when my son was at VMI, I went to their museum, and they had a number of German uniforms there, and I was struck by how small the uniform was. Just in the 60 or 70 years after World War II, men have grown. The average height of a man today is almost 5 feet 
10 inches tall. Now, all of us would say that somebody who is 6'4 is very tall. But if you put that 6'4 person in the NBA, that's not tall at all because some of those boogers are seven feet tall. And even in a place like South Africa, there's a tribe called the Zulus, and on average, some of those men have a tendency to be tall. In South America, there are groups of people, and I don't use this in a pejorative or derogatory way, but they're called pygmies. They're very short little people. So your people come in all shapes and all sizes. You see them every day. But when they came back and gave their report, they had found a group of people who were exceptionally tall. Now remember, these men were around 5'2 or 5'3. That's pretty short. And so they met some men who were much taller, and they called them giants. And in fact, when they said in, in this last verse, it says, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. In other words, what they said, we think we're grasshoppers and they think we're grasshoppers. And when you meet a giant, you're going to feel that you're not able to handle it. And so the question becomes, what do we do in the presence of giants? And the first thing I believe is that we have to be honest enough to know that there are some things in life, even as people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, there are certain things that are too big for us to handle. That is the reason the Bible teaches us, particularly in the letters, that my job is to follow Jesus. I will not understand everything that happens in my life, I would change some things if I could, but life is not easy, folks. You know that, and I know that. I, um, I, some of you ask how I was feeling. I, I had some kind of virus. In fact, I thought I was going to have to get better before I could even die. But, but I'm feeling a lot better. But having a virus is not a giant. I'll tell you what a giant is. While I was gone, I got a call from a dear friend of mine. I've known him for 40 years. He loves the Lord, a follower of Jesus Christ. And he said, Brother Larry, I'm calling you because they've told me that the medicine they're giving me won't work. And I said, what does that mean? They said, well, they said I had about three weeks or a few months to live. That's a giant. And folks, you're going to face giants in your lives. It may not be that big, but all of us are going to face giants. And must admit that our lives, even though they're filled with abundance, we live in a land where the Lord has blessed us with all the problems we have in America. I'd rather live in America than I had in Ukraine. With all the problems we face, I'd rather be in America than to live in Sudan or Nigeria or all the other places we could name. Even though we've turned our back on God, God has blessed America. Amen? Therefore, in the light of the context of God's faithfulness, we have plenty of food to eat. We have, if we get sick and choose to, we can go to the doctor. You might have to wait a long time, but eventually you'll be able to see a doctor. We have 
homes that are heated and most of them are cool and we have cars to drive and food to eat. And often as a Christian, I will go in my praise time in the morning or at night or when I'm talking to the Lord during the day and I'll go through the list of things that we often forget to thank God for, like the ability to drink clean water. Folks, there are a lot of people that don't have clean water. The ability to read. Have you ever thought, God, I thank you that I had enough education that I can read the Word of God I thank you with all the faults in America, all the things that troubled us. Lord, you have abundantly blessed us, and we need to be sure that we are thankful people. I've heard people say, oh, well, the Lord knows I'm thankful. Not if you don't tell him. He knows that we're not thankful because I think we need to realize the Bible teaches that God is enthroned on the praises of his people and God's people above everybody else, we have so much to be thankful for. In America, there are a lot of problems. You know, I, I used to be addicted to watching the news. I hardly ever watch the news anymore because it's all so depressing. But even though there are things that are happening that are beyond our control, my responsibility as a Christian to believe that God has a word for me and a word for you when we meet the giants in our lives. Because if we live long enough, we'll face a giant. And those giants, whatever they may be, and I, I thought about that this week and thought about how could I explain what giants are. First of all, I think there are external giants and internal giants. So I want you to remember, external, internal. An external giant would be like some of you young men or women, you have families, your children are depending on you, and you're depending on the job you have, and you walk in one day, and they say, we're shutting the company down, and you have no job. That's a giant. Or perhaps you're went to the doctor and you thought everything was routine and the doctor says, I, I hate to tell you, but you have a, a life-threatening disease. That, that's a giant. Or perhaps maybe you walk in one day and, and you discover that your spouse has been unfaithful. That's a giant. Or perhaps you have a child and and the God that you have decided to serve, the God that you have prayed to and served in love for 40 years, but you've got a child who says, I don't want anything to do with the God that you worship. I had a pastor friend. Oh, he was a good man. Loves the Lord, still loves the Lord. He's a little younger than me, so he's a boy. But he had two sons and one daughter, one day I was with him, and, and I could tell he, there was anxiety on his face and in his heart. And because his son, who had graduated from Duke University, a, a, a smart boy, and he came to his father, his father who was a preacher of the gospel, his father who loved God and tried to exalt the name of Jesus, this son said, I do not accept anything about Christian faith anymore. And as far as I know, that was 20 years ago, and nothing has changed. 
That's a giant to face. And so those are those external giants when you have children who rebel or, or you have a sickness that there maybe is little hope for or, or you have trouble in your marriage. Those are those external giants. But then those internal giants are the things that are deep down. Loneliness can be a giant. Bitterness can be a giant. Fear. Some people are addicted to fear. They fear everything. Depression. I read many years ago when I was preaching at Franklin Heights that when you get up to preach that 5% of people are suffering from clinical depression. Now, depression clinically is not just having a bad day or two. Depression is when you step in a deep hole and it seems like somebody's covered up the hole. And there are about 5 or 6% of people every time you preach that are clinically depressed. And depression can be a giant to face. Anger can be. Jealousy can be. Uh, I was telling somebody that, that, that this week or a while ago, I, I went to the day of prayer up at the courthouse, and I walked in, I walked up to the, and there was a fellow, I did not know him from Adam's house cat, and he just starts talking. He was a big talker. He was a big boy, too. And he got talking about age, and you know what he did? He said, how old are you, 85 I said, no, I'm 83. He said, well, I wasn't too far off. Folks, I love the Lord, but I wanted to slap him. <laughs> and the reason I don't mind saying that is because you feel the same way sometimes. <laughs> love the Lord, but just want to smack somebody. And it can be a giant. Anger. Depression, jealousy, fear, bitterness, giants, internal, external. They come in all shapes and sizes, and those giants becomes the bully on the block of our lives that we call the life that we live. So the question is, as Christians who love the Lord, what are we to do? when we face a giant. Let me quickly say this. I think, first of all, that we need always to apply the Word of God. Now, I know you know I'm old-fashioned, but I believe this is the best book that has ever been written. This is better than any philosophers, and folks, I've read a lot of philosophy. I took a course in seminary, and our professor, I think he worshiped the philosophers. And I have read philosophers. I am sick up to here with philosophers. This is the greatest philosophy you'll ever find. And as I said at the beginning, I don't understand it all, but by faith I accept the Word of God. What else are we going to build our lives on? The opinion of politicians, the opinion of philosophers, the opinion of the technicians, the opinions of artificial intelligence. No, I have chosen to take my stand and base my life upon what God has said. Therefore, I say to you that when we face a giant, the source of our help is the Word of God. Now listen, do you remember our precious Lord at the beginning of His ministry 
when he was being tempted by the devil, one of Jesus' response was what? He quoted the word of God. This was God's son who had never sinned. Holy, pure, good, righteous, God in the flesh. But when he was tempted, he quoted the word of God. You remember Paul? Somebody said Paul may have been the greatest Christian that ever lived. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I, I know that Paul had a rough time after he became a Christian. And here's what Paul said. You remember, I believe it's in Ephesians chapter 5 or 6, he talks about the armor of God, and he says, have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Folks, we are warriors, and this life is not a playground. It's a battleground. And we who are the soldiers of Jesus Christ need not to lay down the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I hope as a Christian that you have time every day, every day, to take the Word of God and allow God to speak to you. I have a dear friend, and he goes to a church of a different denomination, and I believe there are a lot of Christians that never have darkened the door of a Baptist church, but this, this church that he went to is kind of liberal, and I said to me, said to him, I said, Brother, can, can you tell me, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God or contains the Word of God? He said, I think the Bible contains the Word of God. Folks, don't ever have a preacher to come here as your pastor who believes the Bible contains the Word of God. Because how do you determine what is and is not the Word of God? By faith, I believe, even the parts I don't understand, God has a word. Jesus quoted the scriptures on a number of occasions. Paul says, as soldiers of Christ, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, as you go out as soldiers of Christ to do battle with the forces of evil. I think what we need to do, and I know, oh, I've got four minutes. <clears throat> Remember that God has not abandoned us. When you face a giant, just remember that God will never abandon us. Now, why do I say that? Because Jesus, he said to the disciples, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Now, that's good when everything is fine, when the children are on the honor roll, when your husband or wife gets a raise, when everything's wonderful and you're getting ready to go on vacation. But when you face a giant, it's good to remember in the darkest day when the giant is there that God says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Isn't that good? Well, listen to what God says in Deuteronomy. And he's talking about this particular situation. It is an account of Israel as they were getting ready to cross the Jordan into the promised land. And, and this is what God said in Deuteronomy 9.3. Be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who crosses ahead of you. When you meet a giant and you don't know what to do, remember God is already there. He's there on your darkest hour. Secondly, 
We need to be serious because the more serious we are about the Lord, the more giants we're going to face. Now, maybe you disagree with that, but that is the reason that Paul, and he was talking about his life as a Christian. He was serious about following the Lord, and he says, I've been in prison, I've been beaten, Five times I received 40 lashes. I was beaten with a rod. I was shipwrecked. I was stoned three times. I was in danger from bandits. All of these things happened to Paul. I believe because you see the devil knew that here was a man that God was using. And the more serious we are with the Lord, I believe the more giants that the devil sometimes will send into our lives. But after I said all that, and I'm getting ready to land this plane. I've met some preachers. They could get it off the air, but they could not land the plane. <laughs> and they may land the plane by saying this. When you face a giant, and you don't know what the answer is, and you don't know which way to go, always remember that in it all and through it all, God is still sovereign and in control. And we need to remember that. God is in control. I don't watch the news because it will depress you. But I want you to know regardless of what our nation does, God is still working His plan, working His purpose, and ultimately God will be glorified. We may have to go through rough places, one of the preachers that was meeting up there in the courthouse, I said, you know, brother, I believe we're under the judgment of God. He said, I agree we are. And it may get hard and rough, but God is in control, and he will use the judgment of America to bring glory to his name. Always remember that God is sovereign. Let me close with this. This week, my precious wife, she came into the library where I was reading, and she says, I want to read something to you. Or, no, she said, I want you to read. And, and she said, I don't know where I got this, but years ago I came across this, and she had copied it two or three times. And I read it, and it just resonated with me. It just meant something to me. It meant something to her, and, and it meant something to me. And I, I, I just want to finish because whoever wrote this, and I don't know who wrote it, I could never write anything like this. I'm not that smart. But listen to what whoever it was, maybe a man or woman, I don't know. He's talking about God here. He says, He is sovereign and He knows my name. Angels still respond to His call. The hearts of rulers still yield at His bidding. The death of Jesus still saves souls. Listen, heaven is only a heartbeat away. The grave is still a temporary housing. Praise God, when we die, that's temporary. Jesus is coming and we will be resurrected. That's me, not him. God is still faithful. God is never caught off guard. God used everything uses everything for His glory and my good. God uses tragedy to accomplish His will, and His will is always holy and perfect. 
And then it concludes by saying this, Sorrow may come in the night, but joy comes in the morning. When you meet a giant, and you will, some of you are meeting one today. Some of you have a giant today. And when you do, remember, sorrow may come in the night, but joy will come in the morning. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to understand it all. All we have to do is be faithful and believe and trust. Doesn't mean life is easy. Lord, sometimes it just plain sucks. But God, we thank you that you're in control. You're alive. And praise God, you're coming again. So Lord, we pray that if there's anybody here today that needs to remember that you're sovereign, they need to Go to the Word of God because of the giants in their lives. Apply that to their hearts, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.